and welcome to Talking Home Renovations with the House Maven. I am your host, Catherine McPhail. I am an architect practicing in eastern Massachusetts, and my specialty is additions and renovations to existing homes. So this podcast is for homeowners who'd like to learn more about home renovations before they get started with their project, and a lot of my episodes have to do with uh, different elements that might go into a home renovation, like doors and windows or bath fixtures. Today, we are trying something a little bit different. I have asked a homeowner to come on and talk about her renovation story. Kim Tierney owns Bloomfield Farm in Virginia, and I had met her on TikTok. I didn't really meet her on TikTok. I started following her her story, and then we connected and uh, started chatting there, and she agreed to come on and share what she's been up to, um, kind of her journey so far. So here's the conversation. Well, thank you, first of all. I really appreciate you coming on. All I know about you, really, is that you have this beautiful house in Virginia and that you bought it. You lived in Texas, and somehow you bought this place and fixing it up, and I think you're uh, living there now. That's about what I know. Oh. Like, How did you come to buy a house in Virginia when you lived you know, 20 hours away. So far away. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm originally from Virginia. Okay. So well, that makes a little more sense. I grew up in Arlington, Virginia, which is about an hour from here. Um, I'd never been to this part of Virginia before, but um, in high school, I had a best guy friend who ended up buying a place very close to here. And he had it for numerous years. And I brought my daughter back to go to camp in Virginia. And one year I stopped by his farm and I was like, oh my God, I love this place. And we'd always talked when we were younger that when we were old, we would buy adjoining farms and grow old together. And yeah. it was just one of those packs. And he happened to see this place come up for auction. And it was quite expensive and way too rich for my blood. And he told me about it. And I was like, oh gosh, I can't, can't afford that. But I do want a place to keep your eyes and ears to the ground. And I'd kind of told everybody, I want to move back to Virginia. Um, I'd grown up on a farm in Fredericksburg, Virginia. And I'd always sworn I'd buy that place. But then the National Park Service got a hold of it. And it's now a stop for the Civil War. Wow. <laughs> yeah. So they tore down all the buildings and the land was where um, Stonewall Jackson was actually where his hand was shot and he got gangrene. And so like 10,000 men died on our land. Yeah. So did you, <laughs> did you know that growing up? No, I knew it was haunted. <laughs> so um, there was no question about that. And uh, so I just loved the place. I mean, it was my it was where I had all my freedom as a kid. And I'd jump on my pony and ride for hours, you know, back in the days where people didn't mind if you cross their land. And mm -hmm. um, so it was a beautiful, beautiful childhood for me. And all I wanted was that again. And but life has its way of, you know, making you work hard and <laughs> try to make right. a living. And yeah. And so, you know, I had to put that on a hiatus for many, many years. So, yes, yeah, so I just, you know, I was looking all over. I was looking Massachusetts, Pennsylvania, you know, really anywhere with some serious character back on the East Coast. Because I just miss four seasons and I miss, I just miss the life here. It's, you know, Texas is wonderful for economy and friends, um, great people. Um, so yeah, so I just wanted to move back to the East coast and put my feelers down and John found this house that was going for auction and it was with 108 acres and it had been in the same family for over a hundred years. And before that, since it's built, so it only had two owners prior to us. So 
he saw that it was coming up for auction and I said, I can't afford that, John. And he said, well, you know, and it was, I think the beginning bid was like 550,000 or something like that. And uh, he said, well, I'm going to go anyway. I'm going to go to the auction. I said, okay, you go to, go to that auction. So when he did the end of the auction, it was down to a woman from Washington, DC, who was like on her phone with her person, apparently like, you know, doing her bids, you know, talking, bidding. And then it was a cattle farmer. Um, who's pretty big around here and he needed more land and the cattle farmer won and John walked up to him. My friend walked up to him at the end of the auction and said, Hey, what are you going to do with that house? And he said, I don't know what I'm going to do with that house. You know, he did not buy this for the house at all. Um, he was in it for and, the land. Yeah. He wanted it for the land and where the house sits is kind of swampy. Um, there's been, there was a beautiful Creek that went through here, but over the years, I think with all the building now that Creek is just kind of, you know, spread out and become marshland where the, around the house or the lower end of the house. So John said, well, I have a friend who would probably want to buy this house. You know, would you sell it? He said, sure, I'd sell it. So he, with his land, he also got four dwelling rights Mm -hmm. so he could parcel off this house. And so he didn't really want to sell a lot of land, but making a long story short, um, we got it for the price that I could afford. And, um, and we got six acres with it and it was about six months to subdivide off. And, um, now he's my neighbor (laughs) and, uh, he doesn't have a house there. He just wanted the land. Hmm. So yeah. So that's That's how we got the farm. Yeah. Or what I call a farm. Well, I like that because that means that you don't have to give up on, even if on the face of it, something seems like it can't happen. There's often a way it can happen. Like your dream can come true somehow. Just don't give up when you see it was 550000 starting bid, for example. Yeah. Yeah. So. No, no. Never give up. You just never know what's going to happen. And I mean, I think that if you're looking for a property, you know, as you probably already know, but, you know, just let as many people know as you can. Everybody, you know, I'm looking, I'm looking. I want right. to have a place there or... How long has this been going on? And when did you buy it? It seems like you've been going back and forth from following yeah. your TikTok. It looks like you've been going back and forth through Texas and Virginia for a few years, maybe? Mm-hmm. We bought it. Um, we got under contract February of 2018. So November of 2017 was the first time I ever walked through the house. Mm. And um, it was right before the auction and... I just fell in love. I mean, we pulled up and I fell in love and, you know, the yeah. floors were all collapsed and there was, you know, definite sign of many, many animals had died in here over the years. And, um, it actually looked like it had been abandoned forever, but it, it hadn't come to find out. But, um, so I just said, yes, I, I want it. And uh, I talked to the agent that the guy who won the auction, he brought in an agent. And so we decided that, um, we decided on a price, which was pretty inexpensive. And cause the guy was really, they thought around here that he was just going to tear the house down. They were worried that mm. it was just going to be, you know, here on a Saturday, gone on a Sunday and, or just let it continue to rot, which he probably would have. Cause he just really had no interest in the house at all. So we went under contract finally in February. And then I think we closed May of 2018. Okay. And then you started right away with, are you done right now? Or are you pretty done? (laughs) We don't have a kitchen yet. We're not. Um, So the house was built in, in stages. So the house, the main part of the house was built in 1770 around there. Mm. And 
Then sometime around the 1800s, the section I'm sitting in right now, but this, the section was put in and it's a, a dining room with a bedroom above. And then around 1890, judging by all the nails and all the Victorian wear in there, the kitchen and a servant's quarters was put above. So there's a little staircase that goes from the kitchen upstairs, one of those little twisty, narrow mm-hmm. um, staircases that goes up. And that part of the house is literally falling off the house. And in fact, when we got back from being gone a month over Christmas, you know, we found evidence of lots of critters have moved back into the house. Oh, no. Is it, so there's actually room enough for animals to get in? Is falling off that much? Well, it we've... We thought we secured it, but animals are crafty and um, they probably are crafty. (laughs) They they (laughs) can get in really, really small holes too. It's creepy actually. It's incredible. I mean, and I'm sure that these animals weren't that small judging by what they left behind. Uh, So it was, it was, you know, we knew it was going to happen. I wished it didn't happen, but it did. And they didn't destroy anything. They more destroyed trying to get back out, trying than anything in the house. They, They couldn't get into anything. So, which is good. Um, and I think that, uh, that section of the house is we're trying to save it. So the guy that's here today is here to help us re fix the foundation of that part. And mm-hmm. my husband and I are DIYers. This is like our, I don't know, our second or third property that we've done and we enlist people as we go, but I work as a general contractor and, coordinate everything. Cause I flipped my, not flipped, but I did redid my first house at 23 in New York. Hmm. Uh, so it's just what I love. It's just like, it's like I pick up stray animals and stray houses. <laughs> well, that's the way I feel about houses too. I feel like this house needs me to help, help it. So I feel like I'm helping the house and kind of, yeah, it's like helping a stray animal. I feel the same way. And yeah, I felt yeah. like if a house, like I was thinking when you were talking about walking through the house, if I had been walking through a house where the floor is falling through or the porch is falling off, I think this is the house for me. I need to, I need to take on this house. I don't know. It's, I don't know. It must be just an affliction some people have. An affliction. I, you know, I, I, I want us to think that it's, um, I don't know. It's, it's a, it's a, it's a gift. You know, I it think, is a gift. Yes. Yeah. I didn't mean to put it in negative light. Yes. It's a no, gift. No, 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 no. Our, I don't mean it like that. I just, I didn't think it was negative. I just know that it becomes the affliction because you, you end up with this monstrosity that you have to redo and now you've committed. Yeah. And yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So you had already done a couple of, you had already done a couple of these renovations, right? So you know what you were getting into. In a small and, scale, small scale and more, you know, things from the 1940s up, you know, um, mm. so nothing like this. This was fascinating. We had, I mean, I would just have, I didn't even know how to eat this elephant. I mean, it was, <laughs> <laughs> and getting, and believe it or not, we're an hour from DC, but getting contractors, my contractor that's here helping me right now is from Maryland. He drives an hour to get here. And so mm. trying to find good craftsmen that are available here you it's almost impossible i mean you have to wait five six months and then they kind of dole out their time to you as they go and i mean you know not to get all juju and weirdy but i think this house picks who works on her Mm. (laughs) and you know they we had many contractors parade through here and i would get this ping in my stomach and just know that they weren't the right ones and maybe a little off topic, you know, a lot of them didn't want to work with a woman. Um, That's that's on my mind a lot recently. I mean, always (laughs) actually, I mean, I get the same thing. 
Yeah. And um, you do get like, I feel like that first walkthrough with a contractor, like that's when you're dating, really. And and they should put their best foot forward at that point. And if they're not, it's not going to get better. They're not going to come around somehow. They're going to be probably more of what they already are as you take them through, you know, so... Yeah, you and I could probably be coaches for those guys because I want to tell them when they leave, you need to know your audience. Don't blow it on the interview. (laughs) You know, don't try to be all puffery and act like you know, because somebody that lives in a house that's 250 years old, and we would stay here, you know, amongst the vermin and, you know, the (laughs) filth and the, you know, and um, we fixed one room really quickly and that's where we lived and we would come back and forth. And, um, I have a flexible lifestyle cause I'm a realtor. Hmm. So I was able to, you know, my down months come here and work not months, but weeks, you know, um, but contractor would come in and, Oh yeah. You know, you need, you need insulation in these walls. Um, you got to tear out all this plaster and start over again, or you need to build false walls on top of the plaster walls. And I mean, over, I mean, I don't you know how to say this for you know for a podcast but like I was thinking like over my dead body are you tearing out anything original in this house and that's when I quickly learned we were doing a restoration we weren't doing a renovation and I didn't quite know the difference then but then the more I realized like people would go well we need to pull these boards up here they're all burnt and I'm like no don't touch those boards those are those are tongue and groove and those were done 250 years ago don't touch them they're beautiful so you have to find and I never found my contractor so I just decided that, you know, the guy that was going to oversee it all, um, you know, it was a lot of them. My husband lets me drive the boat on this because it is my passion project. And they would talk to him and not oh, yeah. me. Yeah, so, yeah. When you need to talk to Kim. She just asked you that question three times, address yeah. her and they would still address him. Right. Well, so, that's, that's it. They're out. Yeah. 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 And I tried, you know, I realized that it was kind of the way of the world here a little bit in this neck of the woods. And so I was trying to be a little bit more open, but then once I finally realized that this wasn't a gift from God or whatever, that I got this house because so many people approached us after we got it. How'd you get it? How'd you get it? How'd you get it? We wanted that house. We wanted this. And, you know, I realized I always felt so humbled by that. Like, oh my God, how did I get it? How was I so lucky? Should I not have it? You know, should, but those people have had millions of dollars to put into this house and we certainly don't have that. And um, I started feeling guilty, but then when I, once I realized that I'd put in two years of sweat equity here already, I, I just took full ownership and it was like off with your head. <laughs> Contractors come in and I'm like, no, we don't need to talk anymore. And my husband like, Ugh, you know, and she's, she's going after them. Kim's got bulldog on and I'm sure <laughs> just be like, no, we don't need to talk anymore. You're not talking my language, but thank you for coming. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, I think that's important. I think, I don't know if, because I've only ever been a woman, so I don't know if it would be different if I were a man. Right. But I feel like there are some things like we're less confident or we don't want to have the confidence or seem like we're bulldog or whatever. And so we've kind of conditioned to act a certain way, but I feel like after you get to be a certain age, I just don't care anymore. And I, I'm just willing to say like, this isn't going to work out. So yeah, but thanks for coming. Yeah. And it's being able to own that. Yeah. Because, you know, I get questioned a lot. Are you sure you want to do that? And a lot of it is just an artistic vision rather than a literal, like who, who do you know has redone a 1700s house? Like not a lot of people do this. So 
when you live in an area, maybe Pennsylvania, Massachusetts, it's different, but in Virginia, I mean, we're probably one of the oldest houses, you know, mm. around. I know we are in Clark County. We're the, I think we're the oldest house in Clark County, not the yeah. second oldest. So you don't have a lot of people that have gone before you, yet they act like it. They've, yeah, they've yeah. oh, I've done this and I've done that. So you do question yourself just even as a human being, let alone a woman. Mm. Just go, well, oh gosh, well, maybe you do know more. And that's what I mean. The more I lived here and the more that I touched every crevice of this house, I mean, taking tools and getting out from between the floorboards, all the dirt, you know, in every room. And the house isn't that big. It's um, just four bedrooms and three weird living rooms. One of them will be a dining room um, and then a center hall. But, um, but still, when you go around and you become very intimate with your house, you start to know what's good for it and what's bad for it. And mm-hmm. you can judge those people right away. And we've been really blessed. The craftsmen that have come through here um, have been phenomenal. Our plasterer is, he saved this house. He saved this house. And he is the most kind, gentle man. And he works with his son. And um, I don't know what I would have done without JT. I mean, just even his energy brings his little pack lunch and he sits on the front porch and mm. goes to work. And um, he's just kind, just kind. And we've run into just about everybody that's put their hands on her. Bloomfield um, has been an amazing craftsman. So that's why I feel like she has really either through me or maybe it's me. I don't know. But the only people that have actually worked on her have been beautiful human beings very kind. And the energy in this house is that way. The house is always, you know, I get asked a lot, is it haunted? Is it haunted? And people try to freak you out like on TikTok and they say, you know, oh, don't do this because that person's going to, that ghost is going to come get you or whatever. The energy in this house is um, like nothing I've ever felt before. I mean, I told you I grew up in that house that was where the civil war was fought. And um, I wouldn't say there was negative energy there, but there was a lot of energy there. So I know the difference and I, we have not been haunted here yet, um, but we've been, um, there's just something here feeling wise. Yeah. So it's an overall house feeling like she kind of hugs you when you walk in and everybody yeah. kind of feels it when they walk in, they're like, oh my God. And it's not because it's opulent or there's these amazing carvings. It's not like a Victorian house where everywhere you look is yummy. Mm-hmm. Um, this is pretty a plain house with some nice woodwork and good old floors but people walk in that that and they just are overwhelmed by some something here. Yeah. Something. I totally feel that in houses and I have been known to sage houses. You know, like my house, I had to sage my house before we moved in and another house I was working on, I felt like it could use a little. I don't know if sage even works. I don't know, that's not really my thing, but I thought why not try it at least right. if it would help because yeah, I there is an energy and we all give off energy that just maybe gets you know, there's a residual energy of the people who live there and the things that happened to them when they lived here. And that's one reason I love houses is because of that. I agree. I think they encompass it. And I've saged I, the house we you know live in in Dallas. I mean, I had a woman come through and do the whole salting, open all the windows and doors because everyone that had been in that house since its beginning had had like pretty violent marriages and divorces. Ooh. And you could just, the house was wonderful, but it was just something was there. Mm. And, you know, my husband and I survived. So well, that's good. <laughs> yeah, maybe we can say something for the saging. <laughs> it worked. It worked. Um, so you've been finding things behind the mantle that you've been yeah. investigating. 
Yes. Um, that was, that was very cool because the house, so I'll back up a little bit and maybe you want to include this. I don't know, but so we bought the house in May and I was damned and determined. I was like, okay, I'm staying there the month of June. My daughter was going off to a class thing and I had a month free and, um, I drove cross country with my dogs and my husband and he left me here and flew back and I stayed here in this house a month. And there was a woman who had known all of these houses around here that are the older houses. And she had a published book and it included Bloomfield in it. So I looked her up and she's in town. She's a architecture uh, historian and she, you know, is just, I guess she's mid fifties and we just hit it off right away. And she's like, do you want to come to the office? And I, I dug up some stuff on Bloomfield. Do you want to see it? And I'm like, sure. So I go down there. I'm all excited. And I meet her and she's giving me papers and things that she had found on the history of the house. And then she said, would you like to see pictures of it from last year? And I was like, yes. And she pulls out these pictures and I literally was just got sick to my stomach. The house had been a hoarder house and I didn't mm. know that. Oh. And she was here mid clean and it was pretty cleaned out from what everyone around here now is telling me. Um, but it was I can't even describe, I have those pictures and I post them sometimes and it, it made sense from the smell, the house, the whole house smelled, every room smelled differently. And, um, I just looked at those pictures and I, I must've gotten white and I literally just said, can I get a copy of these? And she's like, sure. And I could not wait to get out of there. And as I was driving home, this storm was brewing in and I was like, I can't stay another minute in that house. Not only was the house probably a hoarder house for 30 years at least the amount of animals that had died in here and then the chemicals i could see in the pictures that people were using to clean this house out i was mm. like what have i done like why i'm i'm an idiot why am i doing this i need to get rid of this house i, I didn't want to get rid of the house but i needed to get out of there i came home packed all my stuff the storm is blowing in i mean it was just like the the things of a movie you know and i'm stuffing my dogs in the car and we drive off to a la quinta that could have allow me to have my dogs with me and that's where i stayed the rest of my trip as i'd come back every day and clean the house but i did not know it was a hoarding house and um come to find out from the neighbors who you know one of my neighbors she's so sweet but she is like she's probably 511 and she said that Frank, the man that inherited the house. And he actually lived here until December of 2016. Mm. And she said, when you walked in the door, you had to step up and he would only let you in the front door a few feet, but mm. you had to step up and it was about a foot and a half off the floor. And then the boxes, you couldn't, she couldn't even see over the boxes and there was like pathways. Yeah. So she also said that when they cleaned the house out, basically they made a deal with, after Frank died, his wife made a deal with a guy that said, I'll keep whatever I find that's still salvageable, but I'll clean this house out. And he brought in five or six tractor trailer sized dumpsters mm. and put them out back and was just throwing everything out the window. And then um, they said that took about four months to do. Wow. And tractor trailers were pulling in and out of here. So... Um, I had no idea. And so some of the things that were on the floor, like outlines were where like cats had died and it was literally yeah. the imprint of a cat. And then areas where raccoons had literally died and decomposed and the floors were completely rotted out. In those oh, okay. So this is while, yeah. while Frank was still living there, obviously, because he'd only moved out or he'd only yes. left he the building in 2016. 
Correct. He, we think he moved in around 2014. And so he was only here about two years, but before him, his great aunt had lived, was born in this house. She did not die here, but she was almost a hundred years old and she left it to Frank. And I think she died in like 2008. And so he just kept filling it up with stuff. It was like a storage unit for him. And she had been, she was a silver spoon baby. So she did not know how to take care of this house. That's my assumption. And she ended up living in the center room for the remainder of her life for like 15 years, just living in one room. So she had already filled the house oh, and then he came in behind her. Was she and the hoarder? It. Was she the original hoarder? And then he just didn't mind it? Yes, I think so. And wow. I, you know, he always wanted, he was a minister and he's a great guy from what I hear. Like he was recruited by the Cleveland Browns, but he wanted to do his life in ministry. And he always saw this house as being a home for wayward boys. And he just had, it was a big animal lover. Um, in fact, his daughter showed up one day and I didn't know her and people always pull up and talk, you know, during the day, it's kind of cool. But um, she's like, yeah, we're looking for dad's other two cats. And at that time, I didn't know that there were two imprints on the master room for the, sorry, primary bedroom floor um, that were, there were cat prints. And I don't know if those are the two cats she was looking for, but somewhere in the hoard over the years, there's still the outline of kitties. Oh man. Are you keeping those outlines? Are you like, are you keeping the outlines of these things? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And my friend, my daughter has a best friend who's a brilliant artist and she's going to come and draw paint little mice around all the mouse holes. I love that idea. I love that. Why, you know, I don't want to, these doors are beautiful. So why would I cover, you know, fix, fix them? People are like, how are you going to fix that? I'm like, it doesn't need fixing. Um, so I wrote a story about, um, it's on my blog, but about the mice. I used to think, oh, these poor mice were trapped in these rooms and had to chew their way out and how'd they have the stamina. And then one day it dawned on me, no, they were getting in. <laughs> you know, so I made this story up about these mice that come to work on each door. You know, they're all living in this house, like a big condo complex and they all come <laughs> together and, you know, their little lunch pails and stuff like that. So <laughs> she's going to animate the mouse holes. And I want her to also bring those cats back to life Yeah, because that's it's a nice. perfect so give it whiskers and a little nose and maybe we make a name for it and paint oh, it. God, so. That is just so sad. It is so sad to think it of a dead so cat sad. just lying on the ground forever. But yeah, just I, mean, I love the idea of being painted. I'm just saying, like when the cat, when the cat actually passed oh. away, and I mean, I mean, I guess the cat doesn't care; he's dead, right? But I think he was living like that. Room. And there were two right next to each other, so I think that they were kind of cuddling. You know, it oh. is. It's and I mean, the man. The, I don't think Frank or Lucy May, his aunt, like had, were bad people at all. I think that they were circumstantial people. You yeah. know, I think. I mean, it gets overwhelming. Life gets overwhelming and that things like that happen and it just gets worse over time yeah and being elderly in this house you're not even knowing how to maintain it i mean there this house is a is a beast she's a monster to to restore yeah and to fix and so i can't imagine as she's crumbling around me and there's trees scraped like here you know there's a whole corner that was missing in this room that that we had on if you can see it but we had to get it replastered because there's a gigantic tree outside just scraping the stone for probably 40 years. And, wow. and all the water was coming in. Where I'm sitting, there were no floorboards. Then I look back on those pictures and I'm like, I scare myself. I don't know whether it's because now I'm almost 55 and I was 51, you know, and I don't know if that makes a big difference, but, and I had more chutzpah 
but I look back on those pictures and I know that this is my last restoration knockwood um, <laughs> because they scare me. I look back on the pictures that I took when I first got here. I'm like, oh my God, how did I ever think I could do that? Yeah. And there's no way. And, but I, there was no question about doing it. Mm. it is when you walk in the front door to a house that is going to be yours and you don't know it yet, you don't see any of the imperfections. You see everything as opportunity and you see it perfect and you coddle the things like, for instance, getting to the mantle, sorry, <laughs> you know, that mantle was just hanging there and it was super plain. Like all these mantles are beautiful, all hand carved. And there's, they're in a bunch of books, some of these mantles. Um, but that one was really plain. And um, I just saw that it was coming off the wall and I just pulled it and it had these two like railroad spikes holding it into the wall. And so it's in the original part of the house. So 1700 section. And I just wiggled it because I'm like, we have to repair this anyway. Let me just pull it off, clean behind it. Right there, the floor was gone. Um, mm. In the, it did, the floor was all rotted out. The whole fireplace had collapsed. So I just wiggled it and then I pulled it away. And then there fell in like, you know, 200 years of dust and dirt were these pieces of paper and pens, quills, writing quills, and with hand carved wooden handles. And I, I couldn't get that mantle out of my hands fast enough. I mean, it weighs a ton. I got it to the other side of the room and I came back over and just sat in this mess and I was just blown away. I was just, Oh my God, these are pieces of paper. And as I would unravel them, I started seeing dates on them. And I think they date from to check my records, but from like 1822 to about 1875, which would make sense because the house changed hands around that time in 1875. So this was all during the civil war that mm. the ladies of the house would sit. I'm assuming this room was the parlor. I just have this gut feeling that it had a piano in it one time, but they would sit there and while they were practicing their painting or their music or their writing their penmanship, they would get these pieces of paper that were just scrap paper and, or newspaper and would roll them up. And they, they look like little cylinders with a point on the end. And some of them have wax coatings. So I think they would dip them in wax and they were used to like stick in the fireplace and light the candles. Oh. So they were used as matches almost and, or maybe vice versa from the candle to light the fire. So there are literally hundreds of them and the mantle, I guess, since maybe that area, you can see it on the stone on the outside of the house where that fireplace area, the stone kind of angles down towards it. So I think as the house settled, that mantle was moving away from the wall and leaning towards the wall. So they would go and just like, you know, where's my, where's my glasses? You know, they <laughs> yeah. would put their, the, 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 what are they called? I think they're called stills. That's what they're called. They would put them up there along with their pens, their, their writing quills, and they would roll behind the mantle. They're probably like, I know I put these up there, you know, and there they would go roll down behind the mantle. And uh-huh. yeah, so being in a house backing up to the hoarding, you know, that had been completely cleaned out by that guy, you know, that came in and traded to remove everything for if he found anything valuable. I mean, he went up in the chimneys. Yeah, I mean, there's not anything here. So it was kind of sad as an old house person mm. to not find anything, any trinkets, um, of something left behind, or even if they'd left the attic full, like I wouldn't have cared. I mean, I'm sad. I'll never see the photographs that I'm sure he threw out, you know? Um, 
but to find this was more of a treasure for somebody who loves the house so much and then also didn't find anything in the house when we took possession. And Catherine LaRue was the woman who was married to Colonel John LaRue, who um, the LaRues built the house a hundred years prior. Mm. They built it in the 1770s. And so he was a descendant of that family. And she, her, her actual penmanship, her, she would practice her penmanship and her name, her autograph. So there's many Catherine LaRue, Catherine LaRue, and she, Catherine Buck LaRue, which was her maiden name. And so there's lots of those spills where her name, her practicing her penmanship. And then also they would practice their O, O's, 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 you know, back in the Mm -hmm. old days when we'd have, and a lot of people have questioned me on the stuff I post on TikTok. They're like, yeah, right. There's college lined, you know, paper back then because there were lines, but lined paper actually came in in the 1780s. So. Yeah. A lot of of that stuff, people don't really have a clear timeline on when certain things came into being, you know, and it's, um, it's always interesting. I love history too. So it's always interesting to me to hear something like that. That's when that came into existence, right? Yeah. And we think about, I think about people back then as, you know, kind of primal, like, you know, not very well. I mean, I don't know why I just kind of placed them in more of a simplistic brain space that they were more simplistic, but if you were going through the newspapers, I mean, there was Wall Street Journal there, there was the Baltimore Gazette, there was um, the Virginia Bazaar. I mean, and a lot of, uh, gosh, what was, there's another one, New York Times, something like that along those lines. But these people were very well read. I mean, they, they, they had these newspapers delivered all the way out here when I mean, we're only an hour from DC, but still there was a point, they made a point of educating and, and, and obviously their penmanship was beautiful. Um, and so I just thought, wow, these people were just really well read. They prided themselves on the news. And, um, we also, um, were fortunate enough to find an excerpt from a diary, uh, that. Yeah. But you've been reading, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, um, so hearing that diary, but also seeing the, the little pieces of paper that were left over from these times, you know, these people, they, you know, I don't even get the Wall Street Journal. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, and uh, I just, I just, I was very impressed by how well read they were, to be honest. And, um, and then working on their, on their beautiful handwriting, just in, incredible. And um, it got misunderstood in TikTok when I put out that I felt guilty about opening these things. It wasn't that I felt guilty. So much is taken so literally on TikTok, right? People can well, yeah. take it apart. Um, but what I felt was more honored but how am I the one that got to find these? And last person to touch this was probably Catherine LaRue. Yeah, yeah. I get to touch something she touched. I mean, it wasn't guilt. It was, it was like, wow, why am I honored? Why am, so that's the guilt. Does that make sense? Yeah, it, was, it makes it was sense really to me. Yeah. hard thing to, to say, but I got picked apart on that a lot. Well, TikTok is, you know, there's a wide audience on TikTok. Yeah. You can't filter them out. Like no. on our Facebook page, I, I agree or disagree who joins, you know, yeah. so it's kind of a small, small, nice audience. Um, but it's interesting that you're sharing your experience through TikTok. And I like that a lot of people are sharing their house experiences and yours, I feel like has been a little bit more, I don't know what the word would be, maybe just relatable. Or I mean, I would, I would love to be doing the project that you're doing. Maybe that's it. But a lot of them just seem a lot more Instagrammy to me. Like, oh, look at my beautiful house and look at the beautiful thing I did in my kitchen. And that's not 
Like I'd rather hear about the the history of it or that it was a hoarder house or that imagine these people practicing their penmanship for hours in the parlor, you know, like that. That's what gets me. So I, that's why I appreciate your account on there. Oh, and sure. I also have a hoarder house. And I when I when I finally actually owned it, like I was all for it, all for it, all for it. And I then I owned it. And I, I thought, what have I even done? Because this is going to be I just cried. I sat on the front porch and just cried because it was so overwhelming. Like, this is just a lot to take on. But um, mine was nothing compared to yours. Mine's like a 1920s house. But it was. Yeah. The damage people can do or not do because by not doing anything is incredible. It doesn't matter the age of the house. I mean, I'm sure this house was adored until about 1940, 1950. Mm. And that's um, when Lucy May, was that her name? Is that when yeah, she lived there? Her parents died around that time in the forties. And she was, she was a little jet setter. Like she, I could tell, I mean, some of the stuff she was back and forth to New York to shop and, you know, she was that girl, Mm. probably maybe a debutante. I'm not really sure. Um, I haven't done much digging on her yet, Uh, but she inherited the house around the forties. And I think that judging by the wallpaper and everything, I don't think too much was done after that. I think it was just overwhelming for her. And then she just kept spending her money. My, this is my story. I tell myself that she just kept spending her money and ran out of money and yeah. couldn't afford the house to upkeep it. So she, I mean, it's a sad tale because some of the wonderful craftsmen that have come through here or just people stop to talk, but they're not, they're too old now to work, but they, oh, I worked on this house for Lucy May and oh, mm-hmm. I helped her set up her fireplace in that room. So she would have some cold heat. Um, that she lived, ended up living in the middle bedroom mm. till her death. Okay. So you've, you've obviously done this before, but if someone is listening to this and thinking they'd like to find a property similar to yours, do you have you know, maybe three pieces of advice for them? I think you have to be willing to live and breathe it. Uh, your paychecks have to go to it, to your project. Uh, you have to make many sacrifices along the way. And you have to be willing to do that. You know, there, there won't be new cars, <laughs> there won't be new clothes. Um, and you have to be ready to have as many setbacks as, as forward movement. I think I've cried as much as I've left yeah. and I've bo- done both daily. I cry in this house every single day <laughs> because there's always something that I think we're going to be able to do. And I realize there's about 30 steps that have to be taken to get to that end game. And just being able to go away, reassess, sit on the front porch, like you said, and cry, and then go back in and just eat your elephant. My husband, and I always say that. And he's like, what are we doing, huh? And I go, well, you're eating an elephant. And I go, how do we do it? He goes, one bite at a time, you know? And I joke with my friends and say, but I'm just on the antelope appetizer. Like I haven't <laughs> even gotten to the elephant yet, you know? Um, so it's just be willing to live and breathe it. You can't take on a project like this if you are, if you're not loaded um, and you can't hire a general contractor, it's going to market up 20% and it's going to end up costing 20% more than he bid. So you're going to look at 40% over the cost that you think is on this piece of paper. Um, Cause they're going to, it's like a hem. You pick the hem and pull that string. And next thing you know, the whole skirts come undone. And that's what happens in old houses. And true. you have to be willing to do that. You have to be willing. It's all, it looks great on TikTok and glamorous and everything, but you know, and there's always more to do. This is, my favorite piece of advice that I heard, and it has nothing to do with renovating, but I heard it and I now take it into renovation. 
a true artist knows when to stop painting. Right. So you can destroy it by keeping on and painting, you know, and you have to be the one to say when you're done. And there are things in this house that I have just embraced, for instance, the mouse holes, you know, or some of the mantles. I'm afraid I will hurt them if I strip the paint off of them at this time right now today. So I'm going to leave them and let them be chippy. Um, I've done the rooms. I've secured everything. Um, So there's that kind of more, more cerebral, more um, how do you get your brain in the right place? And then the other part is the more physical part. If you are going to tackle a house, you have got to get rid of the water in the house, under the house, around the house, the rain, whatever, because water will destroy every house. So the first thing you have to do is roof and foundation. And you've got to be realistic about what that's going to cost and what that's going to take and get as many people through that are experts on it that can tell you what needs to get done. And don't stop at one bid, (laughs) stop at 20. Um, if you can't do it yourself, but yeah, that's the biggest thing. I don't think people understand. They go and they go, Oh, I can just paint this. I can just do, you know, we can do the carpentry. We can do this part, but they forget all about the found the structure, the foundation and the water penetration in the roof and around right. that. Yeah. That is really stabilizing at first. Yeah. The and first thing we did was we, we had roof estimates that came in like 40, 45,000 for a new metal roof. And then we realized that it was just the seams that were leaking. And so we, we goobered the seams and then painted the roof with, with um, roofing paint. And then I put on gutters right away. It was just, there was no question. It was like the paycheck went from my hand right to the gutter guy. And um, we put on gutters and then my husband has been a saint and just working on the foundation the whole time, you know, tons of termite damage, stuff like that, but that's on the side, but that, that saves the house. And you can, then you can have it for years. You just keep, fixing away, but that, that getting the water out of the house and away from the house is number one. That's very good advice. Yeah. Because have you ever seen or not seen, uh, have you ever read the book or listened to the book, the world without us about what would happen to the earth? If, if humans just went away, not the earth, but what would happen to the structures and everything. And it's this description about the plants, the water just destroying our built environment because it can really quickly. You know, it doesn't wouldn't take long for the water to um, penetrate. And then that opens the wall, I guess, for the plants and other and rodents and other animals to just come in and inhabit the house. And it, it's yeah. So you need to you do need to stabilize it. Um, keep the animals out. Get the water out. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. Stir it up. I kept saying we just need to stir up this house. We just need to get when we were in the process of buying it. You know, there was a six month lag time from the time that I saw it to the time we actually closed. And we came and actually worked on the house. I asked the agent, can you please ask the seller if I can get a key? And he was like, why? And I, I had begged him a bunch of times to come shut the windows over the winter. I was like, please, can you just shut the windows? Because a lot of the windows were missing and mm-hmm. they weren't boarded up. And um, I said, can we just board them up? Because the, uh, and they wouldn't. So we flew out here and boarded them up. Mm-hmm. And we actually, every single window, Catherine, this is maybe too juju-y for the podcast, but this house, everything we touch goes right into place. Like they're all the windows were in the attic. So we just put them back in their sashes and there they went. Um, Why were they it was in the amazing. Attic? I don't know. 
I don't know whether when they did the whole, when they cleaned out the hoard, they just decided it would be easier just to pull off all the windows. Oh, that might be and stuff out. And then they never replaced them. So it, this house spent a winter of snow on the floors. Like you can see from the pictures from when I was in here in November to when we finally took possession of the house, like the floors were exponentially sped up ruined, mm. you know, um, the, the paint on some of the mantles was just, it was fine the November. And then because the windows and the rain and the snow all came in, in just a matter of six months were minutes away from being completely destroyed. And so it was just, it, it, water is everything. Water will destroy, especially a stone house with plaster. Yeah. You know, you got yeah. all that water and well, it's an incredible house. It is an incredible house. So how can people follow your journey? You're obviously on TikTok. You're on Instagram. You have a Facebook group. I changed it to Bloomfield Farm Restoration on Instagram, but it's Bloomfield Farm Fans on Facebook. And then uh, it's bloomfieldfarm.net is my um, blog, right? It's just stories I've written. I appreciate you making it a public story because then... The rest of us can appreciate it too. All your hard work that you're doing over there. Are you are you going to be having it as a uh, bed and breakfast? Is that your goal eventually? I don't feel like this house is ours. I feel like this is a treasure, and we are just custodians to make her live another 250 years. Let's hope. Um, so I feel a great need to share this house with people. And plus, if you read in the diary, there are always 10, 15 people coming through here at all times. Like the house is just, when we had people here for Thanksgiving, we had our children all here. Um, and the house was just alive. It was like, oh, like, you know, you could just, it was wonderful to hear people in all corners of this house. So the house is intended to be filled with people. And we would love to do a farm stay, which is basically, you know, your girlfriends or your husband and you come out for the weekend. And on Saturdays, I'll put a blackboard by the front door and you can sign up to be a part of the dinner. And so there's tons of vineyards around here. There's great farm stands. So you can just say, I want to do appetizers or I'll bring the wine or I'll bring the bread. Um, and then we meet back for hors d'oeuvres and kind of all cook in the kitchen. And then we all eat together that night for dinner. And so it'll just be all local food. And if nobody wants to sign up for it and I'm cooking, you're welcome to come join me and, you know, have a glass of wine or whatever. Um, and you don't have to do that at all, but we are going to put on a big, huge deck on the back that will allow people to like sit out there and look at the Blue Ridge Mountains and uh, just kind of relax. It's, we're in a hollow, so it's, we do have internet now, but, you know, we would prefer people just to come unplug and just kind of enjoy the land and I'm going to grow lavender and have bees and just kind oh, of just sounds great. I might even just drive down there just to see it. Yeah, dear. you're not far. I don't know. I'm being told by the house. That's what she wants. She wants people in it. And it was so apparent. Like it was, it was, there's no possession by me. Like normally like in, we've had it, we had another fixer upper where it was an Airbnb and I felt very possessive. You know, I, I didn't, because I, I did, I didn't intend that house to be an Airbnb, but in this house, I just feel like, oh my God, please come, please enjoy, you know, just enjoy mm. because there's no, it's never going to be perfect. It's not going to be walking into, you know, some beautifully restored home. And that's, you know, I was trying to 
like the Selma mansion is close to here. And there's another big mansion in Virginia that was just redone and they bought their houses the same time we did. <laughs> and they are well done. And, you know, this house isn't that it's, you come and be who you want to be, bring your book, lounge around, relax, go walk the field, you know, just go sit by the spring house and just a place where people can just come and not be, um, so wound up by the world. I, I appreciate your, your time and I appreciate your story and I can't wait to come down and I think I'll make a point of it. Okay. I would love that. I would love that. It would be great fun. Well, thanks again to Kim for coming on and sharing her story. And thanks to all of you for listening to this episode. And please join my mailing list and you'll get a special newsletter whenever I publish an episode. Uh, the link to that is in the show notes. The link to all of Kim's information and Bloomfield Farm is in the show notes as well. And if you have some ideas for episodes that you'd like to hear, please email me at the housemaven at talkinghomerenovations.com. You can also pitch a story idea if you'd like to share your own story. I'd love to hear it. You can get in touch with me on Facebook or Instagram, both places I'm at, um, at Talking Home Renovations over there, or at TikTok, I'm the housemaven. And hopefully you subscribe to this podcast. If you don't, subscribe now. Share with your friends. And if you like this episode, Please leave a rating and a review, and that's really appreciated by me. It would help with the, um, I don't know, help somehow with something. But as always, this episode is produced by my architecture firm, Demios Architects, where we believe architects are for everyone. So until next time, take care. <laughs>